0: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Analytics podcast brought to you by the Henry Marketing Analytics Center, where I, Mike Lewis, am a professor of marketing, and I am joined, as almost always, by Doug Battle. Doug, how are you today?
1: I am doing well. I love an unpredictable NBA playoffs, and that's what we're getting this year. I gotta say, I didn't say it on the record, but I'll retroactively put myself on the record for being wrong. Once again, these playoffs, I thought for sure, Denver is sweeping this series. Game one affirmed that belief. Game two, Denver comes out the gate and they are like on a tear. That crowd is rocking, like they are locked in. And you're just thinking, there's no way Miami steals this game on the road. Entire game, it feels like Denver's the better team. And at game's conclusion, you look at the scoreboard and Miami won the basketball game. They keep doing that. They keep winning games they shouldn't win. It's kind of weird. I personally love that Miami is throwing off these great NBA teams by playing the most basic zone defenses that every seventh-grade basketball player is prepared to (laughs) find the weaknesses in. And I thought for for a fact that Nikola Jokic would just exploit that. And he did in Game 1, and he did for a large part of Game 2. But like I said, Miami going or tying the series, taking home court, going back to Miami for the next two games has added some excitement to an NBA finals that I thought after an exciting and unpredictable NBA playoff so far I thought the finals were going to be a dud. I thought it was going to be much like TCU making it to the national championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs. That's my comparison for Miami. The difference is it's tied after one quarter right now.
0: Okay, so I just pulled it up real quick. I have some ratings information for the first game. Look, it's great. For the basketball fans, this is a great series. Hemi Buckets taking uh, <laughs> Nikola Jokic. And, you know, Jokic's style of play is fascinating to watch. It's very kind of throwback. It reminds me of, like, the old lines about Gretzky where, you know, the theory was almost that Gretzky just had sort of more cognitive processing speed in regards to sports. And so yeah. Jokic isn't jumping. He's not doing anything spectacular. But he's always – executing perfectly, right? He's, so he's it, quite unorthodox. Yeah. And so, but it, yeah. And, but it's a lot of, look to me, Doug, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's kind of oh, yeah. new, something change. Yeah. It looks like the ratings are, well, 11 and a half million viewers for game one. So they're not terrible. They're not amazing. They're solid, which is you know a little bit of a surprise to me. I mean, I, my concern was always, you know, great stories, great action, in terms of this series, is where people actually going to watch. So, yeah. you know, they've got a shot.
1: They're, yeah, I think they're doing well. And I think that you mentioned Nikola Jokic being something new. How about this? I got some stats from Fanalytics fellow Adrian Theory. Nikola Jokic shooting 46.9% from three in these playoffs. You 46.9, you compare that. Steph Curry, his career average in the playoffs is 39.7%. And his best season, his best postseason, was 42.2%. So Jokic is shooting a higher percentage from three than Steph Curry did in his best postseason. And Ray Allen, over the course of his playoff career, 40.1%. So also lower than these playoffs, although Allen did have a season where he averaged this was in boston 57.1% from 3. So it's not the greatest three point showing ever in in a postseason, but it's right up there. It's better than any postseason curry's had and it's right up there, you know, right under Ray Allen. And so for Jokic and along those same lines comparing him against other triple double machines in the postseason, more than Wilt Chamberlain's ever had, more than Draymond Green, more than Magic Johnson. Jokic has 9 so far. It seems like he can get one whenever he wants to. And we're talking about a guy who was a second round pick jumps off the wrong foot. When he's shooting layups, throws the ball over his head. I don't know like if you saw, I think it was the end of the half or the third quarter last night. Nikola Jokic tried to shoot like a three quarters court shot. And it was like a line drive. He, he almost made it, it hit the front iron, but he threw it overhead. Like he was like, they teach you to throw an inbound or like you're throwing a corner kick threw it overhead and nearly made the shot, but he shoots the ball that way. Sometimes we saw it against the Lakers, that iconic shot with Anthony Davis in his grill. And so it is fascinating. It's like, how's this guy shooting the three as well as he is? How is he dominating inside? How is he just completely unstoppable offensively when not only does he's not the best athlete on the court, he looks like he's the worst athlete on the court. Yeah, but it's a lot of fun to watch. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's so interesting. You're just sitting there like, how is this happening? I'm always trying to figure it out.
0: I can't keep, I can't take my eyes off. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you can't help but watch him
1: because it's just so different and it's so effective. It's Yeah. 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 And then from a just pure basketball standpoint, I love this series because Denver is they play like the San Antonio Spurs did, like Tim Duncan. Like they move the ball so well. They're completely selfless. Every player on that team is completely selfless, except for <laughs> it's Caldwell Pope sometimes. But for the most part, they're a selfless basketball team. It's beautiful ball movement. And on the flip side, Miami, they're just scrappy. And they got two starters out for the season. So this is a team that was outscored in the regular season, playing with out two of their starters. And they're not particularly... I mean, they've got undrafted guys. They've got second-round guys starting. They. I mean, they're the least sexy team in the NBA right now. You know, Jimmy Butler's an all-star, and offensively... He makes some of the toughest shots that you'll see, but his game is not – it's not as evolved as someone like Jokic, someone like Jamal Murray on the other side. So they they don't play the most beautiful basketball in terms of ball movement. They're scrappy, though. They dive for loose balls. They're like that team in March Madness, that Cinderella team that just ekes out these wins where you watch the game and you feel like they have no business even being in the building. That's how I felt about Miami last night. You know what's funny about that,
0: Doug? I remember doing some – media interviews during the championship in the bubble yeah and it was the same story yeah that that well, seems to be the miami the miami brand yeah that they're sort of no name almost a no-name team comparatively compared to you know the lakers right. or, but yeah i mean it's an interesting brand for them to have i
1: mean it's really a likable brand as well yeah and, and i used to hate the heat i used to hate the heat i think during like the LeBron Well, when LeBron went there and they basically had a championship parade before they even played a single game together and and they kind of were the villains of the NBA for a little bit. And Eric Spoelstra was a coach. And I used to think Eric Spoelstra was a goof. Um, He's kind of a real life. We've been watching Ted Lasso. He's kind of a real life wonder kid. Guy was a video coordinator, started his career as a video coordinator, rose up the ranks very quickly to become head coach. Pat Riley saw something in him from the time he was a video coordinator and you know lost some championships, won some championships with a very stacked team, but what he's done post LeBron, what he's done with less is definitely the best achievements of his career in my opinion. And he runs a 1-3-1, he runs a 2-3 zone from time. They'll run a box and in one in an NBA game. Like this stuff you don't see this in the NBA. It's usually man to man. And so there's some people that think he's a genius because he's overachieving with these with this kind of mediocre roster you know pat riley's found some diamonds in the rough with guys like duncan robinson who by the way i don't know if you saw him flexing after his and one or he had a a play yesterday where he was flexing on the other team and that guy is he seems kind of arrogant and i love he reminds me of stetson bennett he's like he shouldn't be out there but he's balling and he thinks he's the best player on the court every time he does anything it's beautiful to watch it's entertaining. And I'm personally not too shocked that the ratings are doing well simply because of the kind of Cinderella March Madness storyline with Miami and then the historic performances of Jokic, who, like you said, it's just hard to stop watching him when you start because it's kind of mesmerizing and it makes you question everything you've ever learned about how to shoot a basketball, how, you know, what correct basketball is. Well, and what you know, who's the most
0: talented player,
1: right? It's kind of tells you that,
0: hey, you may as well throw away that eye test. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. So we're just two games into this. And so, you know, the hot takes of Demers rolling out in four, and now it's going to be competitive. The ratings are, you know, down a little bit from last year. It looks like good stuff going forward. You mentioned Ted Lasso. And so let's talk about Ted Lasso real quick before we get into our, the meat of the show, which is our, NFL fan base rankings, will we'll start to sort of work. I we'll guess we'll work from the top down because it gets yeah. more interesting and more anger-inducing as we get to the bottom of the list. Doug, Ted Lasso. You know, it, it's like Gal Pacino in The Godfather. Ted Lasso, you broke my heart because it was a great show and it ended as a great show. Yes. And in the middle, they had to... I mean, it's hard to explain, right? In the middle, they had to sort of indulge their political whims. And so in the finale, we're back to the silly stuff where the captain shoots the ball so hard it goes through the net. <laughs> and it's about sports and Jamie and Roy are, you yeah. know, back to having another fist fight over. It was the classic sports show where it almost feels like you know, like one of these kids' sports shows where, oh, here's the captain that kicks the ball so hard, but he really shouldn't be taking the shot. And so it was a great show, and they could have done it great, but they couldn't stop themselves. And so first season, amazing. Then painful with a nice upturn at the end. Promise unmet, though.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say it's like at one point it felt like they couldn't get out of their own way with the storytelling, and, and you mentioned some of the <laughs> – just messages that were being forced into the show. But at the same time, by the end of it, I felt like the greatness of r- some of these characters, Roy Kent, Jamie Tart, Ted Lasso, Re- you know, Rebecca, I feel like they they couldn't get out of the writer's way. It's like the writers were trying to make it something else, but they couldn't help, but it'd be great at the end. It's like, no matter what they did, it was still going to be beautiful. And I was very pleased with how the show ended. I was not very pleased. They just about lost me about a third of the way into oh, let me, can I make three. One, let yeah. me make one more point about
0: this, because I think it illustrates something really special about fandom. And I think they tried to illustrate a lot of things about fandom. Yeah. But the one thing that they really did, and they did it unintentionally, was how easy it is to bring back fans. Yeah. Once you've created that fan relationship – you can then have 15 losing seasons in a row or 15 episodes that are painful in a row. You come back with one championship run, one great thing, you know, Jamie and Roy
1: riding a bike together, and suddenly everyone's back in. Yeah. Right. It's the power of this. Yeah. It's like, you know, if the Washington uh, R word commanders came out and put together some championship runs. You think those R-Word fans that have abandoned that team, you think they're no longer (laughs) R-Word fans anymore? It's getting hard to say. You think they're no longer Washington football fans? Like, they're coming back. They're back on the bandwagon. It happened when RG3 had that one magical season. All those fans were coming out of the woodworks. And it'll happen with the New York Knicks at some point. It will. And, I mean, Alabama football was like that at one point. When Nick Saban came, all of a sudden, everyone was, (laughs) was just coming out of nowhere. Nice shirt, Doug. Yeah. Uh, Line-eye attendance. You see some of those
0: pictures from, you know, Saturday afternoons the last couple of years. There's a lot of space to spread out in Memorial Stadium. (laughs) This year, they go on a little bit of a run. Yeah. And suddenly there's twice as many people in there. Fans, you know, fans are just, they're just, they're dying for an excuse to come back.
1: Yeah. And I do think like Ted Lasso, especially that last episode, there were some great fandom moments like where they're purely focusing on the fans and kind of tapping into the way that fans behave. Whether it's, you know, when the team does their So Long Farewell dance for for Ted, (laughs) spoiler alert, and the fans just lose their minds. (laughs) And, you know, those three guys that are always at the bar. I think they were kind of like representative of fans as a whole. Um, Rebecca learning to, you know, from season one kind of being She was actually pulling against the team, kind of. If anything, indifferent. And by that last game, she's yelling and screaming like she's really bought in. And they're showing like this is a fan who has been converted. This is the full conversion of a fan is complete. She is now an all-out AFC Richmond fan. Absolutely. Okay. Now
0: you mentioned the Washington football team, Commanders. Our Our words. words. So oh, for about a decade now, nine years, I think, we've been doing NFL, or I've been doing with a partner in the past, Manish, been doing <laughs> a, a ratings of NFL and other professional fandoms. Yep. So taking a quantitative look at what fan bases have the most passion. You can also flip this around and say, what are the strongest brands in the different leagues? Now, I think we're going to start at the top and we'll just sort of work our way down and talk about you know, see where it goes. I suspect, well, we won't get to the bottom of the list till next week. In the past, just so everyone knows to emphasize, the way these ratings work, 20 years of data, building economic models of how these leagues work, and then essentially looking for what teams over or underperform when we control for things like winning, the size of the city, the level of incomes in the city, just about everything we can control for, do teams under or overperform on these fandom or marketing metrics. Now at the top of the list, and so my experience after doing this for a number of years, at the top of the list, it's like people just say, yeah, that's right. We belong there. So there's no controversy. As we work down and get to the bottom of the list and you say, oh, you know, this team's fans are not as good as those team's fans. Suddenly we're getting into fighting words. Doug, what if I told you that vanderbilt fans were better fans than georgia fans
1: i would say
0: i I don't know if
1: i would get mad that's so absurd that i would just be like that's absurd mike
0: auburn fans are better fans than georgia fans
1: auburn fans are the (laughs) worst fans (laughs) they call themselves a family and they run their quarterback off campus if he's not performing well that is no family i want to be a part of
0: Okay, and that is why, that is one of the many reasons why Doug is my co-host on this, because <laughs> it's, Doug, I need a fan for a second, and the fan shows up. Okay, so Doug, and number last on the list, number 32, we have, do you want to guess what it is? Well, you've seen the list, so there's not much of a guess. I actually, it's been a minute, I don't
1: remember. <laughs> we do the graphics early. That so was number a while back, yeah. Well, who do you think it is? I'm going to say I'll go with the team I just mentioned, the Washington R-Word Commanders. And that is number 32 at the list. And it's
0: a dominating performance to reach the bottom for the Washington Commanders. Because I look at multiple metrics. I look at, and especially weight heavily, home box office revenues. So this idea of willing to attend and willing to spend. And also social media. And the Washington Commanders finished last on both of those metrics.
1: Yeah, pretty brutal. I have I and I mentioned this last year talking about this. I have a good bit of family that were lifelong Washington R word fans, and when they dropped the team name and all of that, all right. what timeout? What do they call the team? Do they call them the R words? I don't. They call them the commies now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they call them the commies. They hate them, Mike. They hate. These are life. These are people that used to cry every time they lost a game as adults. Like I'm talking serious fans, and they hate what management or what the NFL or whatever what happened, what became of that. They felt like it was completely their everything. They loved was just spit on and stomped on, and they decided, screw that. <laughs> I'm pulling for another team, and I hate this team. They're ruining everything I love. It's like, I know people who are like not to bring everything back to Star Wars. I know people who are like that with Disney Star Wars who are like, they're spitting on this legacy. They are completely ruining something that was pure and beautiful. And now it's okay. become part of something I hate and screw well, that. I hate them. And so question. they've developed like these anti-fans that are pretty okay, hardcore. Here's the question. Cause
0: and this is one of my theories about
1: the Washington football franchise.
0: I think they've done I think they've gone so far off the tracks that there really isn't even a connection to the Washington Redskins of John Riggins, the Hogs, Joe Theisman. Right. That this almost feels more to me like an expansion team that botched their entry into the market. Right.
1: Well, it feels like a XFL team or something. Like it's so foreign, even though they kept the colors, you know, they kept a lot of the branding intact. But the way they handled things, it really ticked off a lot of people. And it does feel like an expansion team more so than a long time, you know, NFL franchise that has this great history of winning championships. My father has the weedy cereal boxes of all the Redskins championships in his house. I mean, there's like six or seven of them. And he's like, you know, the thinking at the time was these are going to be worth a lot of money. Now, you know, it's like maybe if they make a museum for what that team once was, I don't know, but or it'll probably end up in a civil rights museum. So I I don't know, but th- it does feel foreign. And I would love it if whoever the new owner, I, I lose track of what happened. I know Snyder was selling. I would love it if the new owner would just totally rebrand again, just to a- add some chaos to I would
0: go, Look, I would go minus one, at least when it was the Washington football team, it felt like. It was connected to the legacy and the history. That second rebrand to me broke it. That broke the chain.
1: Well, I also think that the Washington Commies nickname was too easy for a franchise that was accused of allowing liberal <laughs> politics to affect their decision making. <laughs> to name your team the Commanders, it was too easy. Should have thought about that one. It's, it's, it's for, like you, for Cowboys fans, it's like Cowboys are commies. You know, it's they. It's easy. It's an they easy.
0: Never, t- they never see on these renames. They never seem to take five minutes to think what the juvenile folks on Twitter are going to do with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which most folks on Twitter are juvenile. We've learned keeping up with sports <laughs> over the years. So, it, no, I mean, you go and look.
0: I mean, you know, since we've been doing this, and since we've been adding the video element, I've developed a small. This is a little bit of an off topic. I've developed the habit of reading the comment section on everything that I look at on Instagram. Oh gosh, the video first place, and ninety five percent of the world is what you know the public world would think of as completely reprehensible, right? right? And so,
1: you know, you it's gotta the think
0: that group is gonna say.
1: It's all the people that played video games with headsets on growing up. Now they have access to communicate with the entire world on the internet. And it's called the comment section. But the Washington football team, I'll say this. I've seen some really incredible projects from design students, marketing students all over. I'm not just talking to Emory. I'm talking all over the internet who have proposed, hey, what if they did this with their uniforms? What if they paid tribute to their old history while introducing a new legacy? What if they did and all these like logos, fonts, everything that look amazing. And this was before they came out with the commanders like they could have totally they could have hired one of these people. They could have. And then they came out with something so generic and so boring that it it feels like when you're playing Madden. I used to always move the Madden teams to Birmingham and they would have like stock logos, stock you know letters you can put on the helmet or jerseys. And it's one of those.
0: As brutal as as this sounds, you know, I run this – I actually do an assignment in the sports marketing class of rebranding a team with a branding problem. And for years and years, it was rebrand the Washington Redskins. And sometimes I would do this but give the the student groups a lot of time to do it, a couple of weeks. And sometimes I would do it as an in-class exercise. I hate to say it, Washington football team. The commander's rebrand looks a lot like that in-class exercise of what a group of undergraduates are going to come
1: up with in 45 minutes. (laughs) How many millions of dollars were spent? Do we know that number? I would I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot of money. They did a lot of, I remember them. Do you remember they put out the promo videos of all the research they were doing in the work that was going into the rebrand?
0: Yeah, not, I mean, it's brutal because when I tell that story about the students groups coming up with it, that rings true, doesn't it? The idea that you have 10 student groups, you're going to get a hog, a hogs, a Washington hogs. You're going to get the Washington red tails. That one was yeah. all over the place. The Washington commanders, the Washington generals. Warriors, you know, warriors. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, it's an hour long project that maybe they stretched out to a year and paid several million dollars, but it's still an hour long project.
1: Yeah, and like I said, the uniforms, the fonts, everything's so generic that it, you, know, you could have just taken off the old logo and put on a w and you're 90 percent there or you probably would have a better uniform at that point a better brand more of a connection with your fans
0: let me ask you this and this one's a little bit tricky but i want the emotional response so who are the all-time great washington commander players commander yeah and i asked that intentionally
1: i mean do you connect that to well that my first Thought is so you're talking about in the last three years, you know. That's I'm my... talking about in terms of you're a Washington
0: football fan. Do you connect those guys to this team or not?
1: Because no. if you don't,
0: okay. So there are no all-time great Washington commanders.
1: Taylor Heineke had some nice games. Okay,
0: and that's why we're at <laughs> rank number 32 on this list. Okay. So Washington Commanders are last on the list. Just above it is an interesting brand, Doug, because it's a brand that is essentially. And again, there, there's going to be a lot of it's going to be a lot of themes throughout this in terms of what makes for a good brand and what makes for a great brand. But second from the bottom, we have the. I was going to say San Diego Chargers, but the Los Angeles Chargers. So it's a team that has some stuff going for it moving forward, right? It's got a great young quarterback. Yeah, It's playing in a glamorous market. But at the, at the moment, I think those things actually work against – again, I dug. I can't help it. I want to say San Diego, but work against the Chargers because they don't have the social media following that you would expect from being in a city with 11 million people. They don't have the ticket pricing – And so the revenue you would expect of being in a enormous market and the team is the team's been very solid the last few years. So San Diego. But again, the other thing that's interesting about them, they're at the bottom of the list and they're in a battle, whether or not they acknowledge it. They are in a battle for the soul of that city who is going to be Los Angeles's football team going forward.
1: Yeah, and they're it's weird in LA because they're not just competing against the Rams, they're competing with the beach and they're competing with <laughs> the film industry and they're competing with the LAFC you know there there's so many different teams. the Kings they have so many forms of entertainment in that city that it's not like being in Some of the city like the Green Bay Packers, that's all there is. That is Mm -hmm. it. And if you want something to do that involves connecting with other people, it's probably going to be a football game. Not the case in Los Angeles. And then, like you mentioned, in a battle with the Rams, who, by the way, won a Super Bowl right out the gate, you know, when they moved to Los Angeles and when the Chargers moved to Los Angeles into that new stadium where the Super Bowl was played. And kind of became okay. This is where all the stars go out to watch. They're the Lakers and this is the Clippers. And so, not saying it's going to play out that way. I think the Chargers are better positioned moving forward simply because Justin Herbert is one of the few guys that you would pony up and pay no matter what if you have the chance. I think any NFL team would kill to have a guy like that on their roster with the exception of Kansas City and Buffalo, you know, a couple, a handful, a small handful of teams. So 10 years of brand building ahead for the Chargers. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting with the Chargers because even when they were in San Diego, I grew up in Alabama. I We didn't have an NFL team. Some people pulled for the Falcons. I wasn't that guy. I ended up pulling for the Giants. But I remember when I was pulling for the Giants, wishing I had picked the Chargers because Ladanian Tomlinson was so fun to watch. He was people forget he had a, like a season or two where he was putting he was breaking records every week. It was a huge, much bigger than Aaron Judge with the Yankees last year. Like it was a huge story. He was so flashy. Drew Brees was the quarterback. Junior Say, Se- I mean, they had so many stars. They had so many great players. It was in a place where you could fantasize about like I I as an Alabama kid was like, wow, it'd be so cool to live there. You know, live in, live by the beach, have these amazing football teams and players to watch. And they were just always a bridesmaid for whatever reason, with Drew Brees and LaDainian Thompson, Antonio Gates, a tight end, never could get over the hump. Brees left, found success. One of the rare situations where a quarterback moves teams, you know, kind of around his prime or after some really good years. And you actually don't even remember his first stop. That kind of feels like you know, like his college team, that was, that's kind of how San Diego felt for him. Oh, okay. And so when they moved to Los Angeles, you would think this is a team, they've got some of the best uniforms in football, according to a lot of people, they've got this yeah. great young quarterback powder and, blue, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they're good. I like them. I've always been a fan. Like I said, there was a point where I was like, I picked the giants and I'm loyal, but I wish I'd pick them because those jerseys are gorgeous and they've got some really fun players to watch. And so it's always been kind of a head-scratcher to me that they didn't. And San Diego, by the way, that's a city that didn't have NBA. They didn't have other professional teams. Well, Doug, it's a city that
0: doesn't struggle, right? Because they did have the Clippers. Yeah. And so they've lost two teams to to Los Angeles. When I think of – it was interesting when you're talking about your perceptions or memories of San Diego – because I think of San Diego as you know Dan Fouts, and I think you know I think that's where a lot of this West Coast passing style mm-hmm. that then has dominated the league off and on for years and years, and then you know Junior Seau, yeah. LaDamian Tomlinson, so a lot of really high profile players. Yep. You know, you mentioned Breeze and Rivers. Maybe they're you know, maybe the curse. No, offense intended for Herbert, but. It's almost like this franchise seems to be cursed with guys that are just below that level of turning into just below that level of generational players, just great players Mm -hmm. that are guy number five at the position or something.
1: Yeah. And I also got to say from like a fandom perspective, I'll try to bring this to as many teams as I can based on like having been to a lot of football games in my life just as a sports fan. I've been to a game at SoFi Stadium for the Chargers and it was a weird experience. I think I walked out of that game and my biggest takeaway was like, that DJ was an interesting guy. The dance team was like, there were so many other elements. They had a mariachi band play like between quarters. Like they they had so much crazy stuff going on. It was constant stimulation and it felt like the football was it almost felt like okay we're taking a break from the mariachi cuz they're going to th- they're going to run three plays here and so it's not like i do think the in-game experience is really important and i think that's something like having been to a lot of college football games that has done so well at the college level where it feels epic it feels important it feels like everything and some of these professional teams whether it's basketball or football you go in and they try so hard to entertain every demographic constantly that it doesn't feel like a serious event. Doug,
0: you're like, you're causing me to get on the soapbox because I recently went to a baseball game and I texted someone during it. I feel like I'm in a casino with constant advertising, music, you know, novelty character races. It's actually kind of the, this in game experience stuff and I think it's across all pro leagues has gone in some ways gone too far for the, for a certain kind of fan. And you can say, well, Mike, you're old, but it's, you know, it, like I said, if it, to me, it starts it to like, feel like, you know, where there's neon everywhere. There's nowhere to look, you know, it's, to it's a tough, it's just, thing. it like, the
1: doesn't di- there? it like dilutes the pro yeah. the core product to me because I'm like, I want to watch a serious football game that's intense and where everyone's really into it. And you have these, it's like they're catering to such an ADD crowd. Yeah, exactly. That that, ADD crowd is, which I mean, it's, they probably feel like they have to, to sell tickets or to keep interest or to have enough demographics that are interested. But as like a football fan, someone who loves football and watching football and having like, when I go to a college football game and a packed out stadium, And they might do one sing along for the whole game, which I hate when they do that, but they might do that. And then, but everything else, like they'll bring out the former players, they'll show old highlights, they'll be, it's all football. And then they're playing hype music, they're playing hype videos, they're playing, like it's all focused on the team and what's going on and how big this is. And it feels so grand. And I I didn't have that at the Chargers game I went to. And I just thought I would mention that. Maybe that has something to do with why they're not. You've, retaining you've derailed fans. the conversation, Doug, but, you know, this whole thing, <laughs> oh, it's the Ford Motor
0: Company, pop up, fly ball out. I mean, it's just, you know, the relentless branding. Okay, we got to get off, off the sofa. <laughs> So third from the bottom at number 29, this one's going to be no surprise to anyone, is that we've got the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think if you ask people the, you know, the sort of the brands in the toughest spot, Jacksonville would always be high on their list now again just a quick reminder remember this is for controlling for things like the population of Jacksonville the the median income levels now Jacksonville's got I think you and I both agree that Jacksonville's well positioned for a brand building run just as just as the Chargers are with Trevor Lawrence at the helm for the next maybe 10 12 15 years yeah but it's a
1: tough market for it's a tough market for pro sports it is a tough market and I'm kind of surprising myself with the number of experiences I have that are like pertinent to this conversation, but having been in their stadium, they have seats that are closed off all season long for Jaguars games that they no longer close off when the Georgia, Florida game comes to town. So they close them off. You know how, like if you go in Mercedes Benz in Atlanta and you go to an Atlanta United game, they're going to have the upper deck like with banners over it or something for most of those games, at least to make it feel full and still feel like a a real crowd. But when the SEC championship or when even like the Falcons or the Super Bowl, Taylor Swift comes to town, those banners are not there. Those seats are being used. Same kind of thing going on in Jacksonville. But oddly enough, it's for when the NFL team's playing, not the MLS team. And they take it down for when the college teams play. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about the state of Florida when it comes to football, particularly the Jacksonville area.
0: Okay, Doug, all time great Jacksonville
1: Jaguar players. Fred Taylor. Fred Taylor from, that's a good call. So we're talking. I was like, I followed the running backs real closely as a kid.
0: Yeah, but, that so was we're a great era. Taylor's glory days, early 2000s.
1: Yeah. I used to love uh, Garrard. At quarterback, I don't know if he's an all-time great, but he was. I think he's a coordinator now. He was a really solid player. He beat up my Giants pretty bad. Tom Coughlin used to be the coach. I think now he's in operations. After, the,
0: yeah, no, he the all the passing leaders just sort of scanning down the list over the years: Trevor Lawrence, Minshew, Bortles, Blake Bortles, which has got to be Gabbert, Garrard, Leftwich, yeah, Brunell. So Brunel. you know. It, <laughs> Gosh. So, I mean, and again, it's nothing complicated in a lot of this stuff, right? That if those have been the guys you've had, you're going to end up near the bottom of the league. Now, there can always be some stuff outside of my models. I think, I don't think there's any accident that Los Angeles, and remember the team moved from San Diego to Los Angeles. As you put it, competition with the beach is real <laughs>
1: yeah. in this
0: space. And so, you know, the Jaguars got some stuff going against them. Right. They also
1: have the beach. They they also have the Florida Gators. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, that's a nice one. SEC football S- is yeah. tough. Yeah, the, I think that's the killer. I think that, I think you, I don't know where the Falcons rank. I don't know. But I think SEC country, between the Titans, the Jaguars, like any of these teams that are close to, to major sec fandoms it's hard to split that like it's hard for people to be that enthusiastic about both sports i have long said especially because remember the gators were here long before the jaguars showed up Yeah, yeah yeah and i'll say this i personally in football season i have so many hours in the week i love football i watch as much football as i can But if I have to choose, if I only have so many hours, if I have to have a day where I do my laundry and get groceries and stuff to get ready for the work week, that's probably going to be Sunday because Saturday, it's without question, I'm watching my team play football. And so my thing has always been, if they played the NFL, not during college football season, people in the Southeast would be way more... Like if NFL were going on right now, we all have this football craving Everyone would be watching it. Everyone would be into it in the Southeast. Not to say it would perform worse or better, you know, everywhere else. I have no idea. But in the Southeast, I think those Florida Gator fans would become Jacksonville Jaguar fans. I think those Georgia Bulldog fans would be really like a lot more locked into the Falcons. I think those Tennessee Volunteer fans would be locked into the Titans. I think you'd see those fan bases rank much higher if it were okay. not during the season of the team they're most dedicated to. Let's do a
0: little on this
1: second fandom. OK,
0: no one I know you well enough after the last few years, Doug, no one is pushing the Bulldogs off your number one spot.
1: And but you during know, we, spring ball, I would be more oh, yeah. into the Giants than the Bulldogs if for that okay. season.
0: Here's my theory, though, that when the Georgia Bulldogs were playing their spring game. You are at best flipping back and forth with the remote control between the Giants
1: and the Georgia Bulldogs. Well that's better than what I'm doing football
0: season. <laughs> no, I, I, think it's, it, like, I mean this is always this is part of the tough thing for teams in the Sun Belt, right? When you have a team and then you move to another city, that second team, I mean for the true fan, it's hard to compete with that original love.
1: It, it just is. I almost feel like though, I almost feel like it goes both ways with football. Let's say, theoretically, Doug, the USFL and the XFL have both played. Who's your favorite teams in those leagues? The Birmingham Stallions. <laughs> Easy. The champions, Mike. Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I was going to say, I think it goes both ways with football. We're like, if let's say that the college season ends and the next weekend they have the draft and they start training camp and they start, you know, the NFL season starts a month or two later. Like NFL fans, I think, would be a lot more locked into college football than they typically are because they're watching the college football playoff, scouting out, this could be the guy on our team this season. We need that guy this season. And then the draft comes, they pick that guy, and then all the fans of that guy who followed him all through college are going to watch his pro season, which is going to take you to around college football season where it starts over again that's just my that's what i'm saying fantasy of year-round sports and, year-round and, and, football we have year-round sports year-round
0: football and I th- well i think for the football fans so nothing else counts That I, I think this is it's a nice exercise because i also think college and foot- pro end up sort of being in different categories so you can have a you know f- you can sort of have a primary love in each of those just because they're different enough yeah Yeah. You know, the question is within that Within a league. Okay, so Doug, number four from the bottom. Number 29. We got an interesting one. Because we got a team that's on the move, potentially. But some similar challenges. We've got the New York football Jets. But there's probably no team with as much hype going into this year with Aaron Rodgers coming to town.
1: And the Jets have been around for they're definitely the longest standing team to be ranked this low. Correct me if I'm wrong. But yes, but they are also, and again, some things are going to pop up. They're the second
0: team in that New York market, right?
1: Well, yeah. Okay. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, though. You look at New York and the size of, I mean, if they were the Brooklyn Jets, they'd probably have a bigger fan base. You know, if they just were focused and not just all encompassing for New York. Because the boroughs of Brooklyn would be one of the big. everybody knows this, would be one of the biggest cities in the U.S. if it were not a borough of New York City. And so that city is certainly big enough for two fan bases. But the problem right. is when they're but let me brand- just
0: this. Let me just clarify.
1: The way this works,
0: you're competing against another, you're, they're competing against you know, the Giants who are also in the same market. So I'm not able to sort of skip. I would never want to make the assumptions necessary to say, oh, the Jets are Long Island and the Giants are New York City. So Mm -hmm. there's always going to be a comparison between what the Giants do and what the Jets do in all this.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to pull. It's hard to root for that second team. It's hard to root for the Clippers. It's hard to. And I know I think the Clippers. for For the White Sox. Clippers are on the move by the way, to they're moving stadiums, they're not gonna play in staples anymore. Yeah, it's you mentioned the whole, yeah, the White Sox, the uh, it's never easy to pull for the second team. It's hard to pull oh, yeah. for Auburn. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: Here's your question. Here's the question. Okay, so yeah. again,
1: Aaron Rodgers
0: probably always gonna be a, I mean, a you know a question of like when these quarterbacks move between teams you know, do the Jets fans feel like he's still a, you know, that he's basically a Packers guy that's coming through the market for a couple of years? Yes. Jets have a ton of hype. They're going to be on TV a lot. If Rodgers takes them on a run and they win 13, 14 games, they're going to be the most hyped up team in the league. What do they need to have a permanent move
1: in terms of the brand rankings? Rodgers got to win two Super Bowls? No. Three? No permanent moves with Aaron Rodgers. Permanent move. I think Like they need a Jacksonville Jaguars situation for permanent. They need a potential next Aaron Rodgers. They need a guy who's going to be in New York playing for the Jets at the Meadowlands for 10, 15 years and performing – and winning Super Bowls, and I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence has done that, but they at least need to be. I think that's the type of situation that positions you for a permanent move. We've already seen it with Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. Okay.
0: Well, then let's like we're going to talk a lot about the Jets as the season goes on because they're going to be yeah. at the top. They'll be what they've. There's so many easy narratives for the Jets. They're going to be the star of the NFL season because so, they're not gonna going to win
1: anything. By the way. We'll see. Okay.
0: Well, whether it goes good or bad, the yeah. stories are easy. Yeah. But you know, you mentioned what they need is the next Aaron Rodgers, some guy that's going to build that brand for 10 years. That gets us to fifth from the bottom uh, of our list. And look, this is an interesting one because this is a team that has that next Aaron Rodgers. So we have the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh. Longstanding Bottom of the NFL, but with maybe the brightest light in terms of talents in the entire league
1: in Mr. Joe Burrow. Talent and marketability. I would expect Cincinnati to make the climb over the course of Burrow's career, assuming he stays healthy. So he's so likable. So many guys. I mean, to put in perspective, I went to an SEC championship game where if Georgia won, they were going to make the college football playoff probably. And Joe Burrow was what was between them and that. And that's all I ever wanted. And I watched my team get torn apart by Joe Burrow. And I walked away from the game a Joe Burrow fan. That is insane. That should not happen. I should hate that man. I've seen him tear my team up twice, both times in person, and just walked away like, man, I kind of want to get his jersey. (laughs) Like, he's just straight up. I don't know how he does it, but that's Joe Burrow. And so, you know, that Burrow fan base, I think, is going to bring a lot to Cincinnati Another team that is kind of like their best years have been bridesmaids years. I think of Carson Palmer, so many teams that were really competitive in the NFL, but they had to go through Brady and the Patriots. They had to go through Peyton Manning and the Colts. And so their perennial bridesmaid, hopefully that changes. They've still been that with Burrow, although they did at least make a Super Bowl with Burrow but they've still been that you know between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and so the Bengals fans that I know are real passionate they're real hardcore people that grew up in the, in Ohio all these kind of rust belt guys are right yeah. all these rust belt fans are you know where it's like the
0: game and the game in town so the Cincinnati's the Cleveland's the Bills right there's always that and so this is something that I think confuses people about the rankings there's always something where They don't quite feel right where, you know, the Chargers, I think you talk about that and people go, cool uniforms, but no one really cares, right? They might show up to the games, but they don't care. But, you know, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Cleveland, you just get the sense of, oh my God, these guys live and die with these teams. But the way these rankings work is, you know, how do they actually perform in terms of like these metric, these marketing metrics of how much are they willing to spend? Are they willing to follow them on social media? And that's where they fall short. You know, they tend to be lower prices. They tend to have really limited social media followings. The social media following on the Bengals is the one that Doug, that's the one I'm going to watch in the next couple of years.
1: Because
0: Burrow strikes me as a guy that every young NFL fan, when they're starting to decide who they're going to follow He's gotta be near the top, doesn't he? Every time he comes out with an a every time there's a press conference during the playoff run and he does something, right? You would think he just makes a big jump up, a big jump up.
1: Yeah, I'll just say, I'll just say I know some young ladies at Georgia who would go to the Georgia LSU games and fangirl over Joe like it <laughs> yeah. was Justin Bieber. And they called him his nickname at Georgia was Daddy Joe. And (laughs) and that's what that's what the sorority sisters would call Joe Burrow as the opposing team's quarterback, who usually is the subject of all kinds of insults, including things that are totally uncalled for. You see the banners that hang from the fraternities and sororities. And so Daddy Joe, he got all the respect in Athens. And I, I think he continues to in the NFL. Well,
0: in a real quick quick illustration of that, and again, not that these metrics, these performances are great, if you look at the Bengals in terms of our metric related to revenue, so in-stadium revenue, ticket prices and attendance, they rank 30th in the league. If you look at social media, they rank 24th. And so that's how you get a sense of how these things happen. Bengals have had a couple of years, hasn't really started to hit the revenue side, but the social media growth inevitably led by... Joe Burrow and, you know, his supporting receivers really. And maybe even that kicker had some fans in
1: it for a minute. Of those five, I gotta say Cincinnati's the one I would bet on to, to advance over the coming years. And a couple of years from now, we look at your rankings. I'd expect them to make the kind of jump that we've seen from other teams who have had young star quarterbacks grow their franchise notably the Kansas City Chiefs, who I believe were toward the bottom of the league when I started doing this with you, Mike.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great insight because, and it's sort of something that's going on in the background. When we look at these bottom five teams, and it's almost like, Doug, it's almost like I want to put the Washington Commanders just in a different category. So if we look at the other four teams besides the Commanders, our quarterbacks are Burrow, Rogers, Lawrence, and Herbert,
1: an if I'm the NFL,
0: it's kind of the guys I want to have at the top of my league, mm-hmm. or at least in my major markets. I mean, we've got some of that with Aaron Rodgers, and I mean, we, I guess we have Los Angeles is a funny market, and all this, but there is, you know, a lot of interesting kind of themes come out of this, and a potentially a mismatch between the elite quarterback talent that builds the brands and where the fan where fandom currently lies is definitely something that's happening in the NFL at
1: the moment. So if we've learned anything this year, it's that sports currently are not rigged. A lot of conspiracy theorists out there, but I don't think the NBA wanted Jokic versus Jimmy Butler as their finals. And I don't think the NFL wanted Aaron <laughs> Rodgers playing for the Jets and, and some of the top young quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, you know, playing for some of the bottom-ranking fandoms in the league. It's not rigged. It's a free market. I'm not That's sure how I takeaway. feel about that statement,
0: Doug. You yeah, look, you know, I, you know, I've got a soft spot for the conspiracy theorists out there, the flat Earth guys, but it is a, it does appear that the NFL has this, you know, the the chips are just falling where they are. I mean, if you're if you were the NFL and you're doing everything from the top down, you would not put Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You would have moved Aaron Rodgers to New York a long time ago. So. Yeah, the beauty of sports. Okay, guys, the full rankings. And so Doug and I will continue to work up the list as the weeks go on, a little bit of a deeper dive into each team's fandom with, as always, a special look at the quarterbacks. But you can get the complete rankings at www.fandomanalytics.com. Till next week, thank you.